Good morning. If you have a copy of God's Word this morning, you can open that to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians 5, and we're going to start this morning in verse 7. Galatians 5, verse 7. So verse 7, we'll start in verse 7 of Galatians 5. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view, and the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. But if I, brother, still preach circumcision... Why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. But through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask this morning that you would pour your grace out upon us as we've lifted our voices to sing praise to you and about you with one another, our church family. We thank you for that time. And we pray now that you would guide us through your word, that we would have understanding, Lord, that we would have balance in doctrine. Um, it's so easy for the church and for us as individual Christians to become imbalanced. Um, and so we want to be balanced, Lord. We want to we hold each doctrine um, important, and, and we just pray that you would give us that balance. Uh, we, we pray that you would uh, use me this morning as an instrument in your hand to bring you glory through the preaching of your word. And I pray that you would guard your people from anything false that I may say. Um, Lord, as I'm a fallible man, but your word is infallible and inerrant, and I pray that it would go forth with power and anointing of the Holy Spirit. And Lord, that you would do a work in us this morning that we would be changed by this corporate gathering of singing and preaching. And Lord, I pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, there's, there's no doubt, as you read through the book of Galatians, that the troublers here, the false teachers of the Galatian churches, were laying false accusations against Paul. Um, in the first couple of chapters, you can see that uh, very clearly. And here, Paul is addressing another one of their accusations. He says in verse 11, which is kind of where we left off last week. But if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. So evidently, the false teachers were bringing up 
Paul's past. We don't know exactly how they were laying this accusation against Paul, but they were bringing up his past and probably saying something like, you know, Paul preaches circumcision and giving his, his resume of being a Pharisee of Pharisees, having zeal, all these things that they were probably bringing up. And maybe they were even saying when they came, hey, listen, you know, Paul left here, but there's some things that he forgot to tell you or he left out. And so the, the accusation from, from what Paul says here was that he preaches circumcision too. So maybe they were saying, hey, listen, Paul forgot to tell you about this. And Paul says, listen, I want you to be clear. I, I'm, I don't preach circumcision. And he says, and this is very interesting here, and, and I, I really want us to see this. If I preach circumcision, then why am I still being persecuted? In that case, what case? If I were still preaching circumcision, then the offense of the cross has been removed. So he's saying something here that there is an offense of the cross to circumcision and to really any works-based religion or works-based salvation. So why, why would the offense of the cross be removed by circumcision? If Paul was preaching circumcision, how would that remove the offense of the gospel? And, and we, I've said this in this series, but I want us to be clear when he says, but if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? Paul is being persecuted everywhere he goes. And primarily, he's being persecuted by the Jews. They were even following Paul around from city to city and, and riling up crowds to persecute the Apostle Paul. Why? Not because he was the Apostle Paul, but because of the message he preached was, was the gospel without works, without circumcision, which is a work. And I just want to highlight this just a little bit to, to show the offense of the cross to a works-based ideology. Because what had happened was Judaism had become a works-based religion. It wasn't purposed that way by God. We've talked about this. The law was given to show the sinfulness of man. That's the first purpose of the law, right? To reveal the righteousness of God and be a mirror in which we see our own sinfulness. And so God uses the law and we twist the law, right? It was twisted to say, look how we can impress God. Look how we can obligate God to bless us. Which is why over and over in the Old Testament, you see God coming and speaking through a prophet and saying, listen, your sacrifices mean nothing to me. Why? Because your heart's not in it. It's the heart that matters. Even you go back to Deuteronomy, spiritual circumcision, circumcise your heart. That's what I want. So listen to this. When... Acts 23, 12, when it was day, the Jews made a plot and bound themselves by an oath 
neither to eat nor drink till they had killed Paul. Now, I mean, to start plotting murder, there, there's got to be a pretty big offense. And the offense was not the person of Paul because he used to be on their side. They loved Paul. At one time, they promoted Paul. They exalted Paul. They lifted Paul up. They gave Paul permission to go and persecute the church. But now they're trying to kill him. What changed? The message. He no longer preached circumcision. He preached the gospel of Grace. They went. There were more than 40 who made this conspiracy. That's what it says here, verse 13. Verse 14, they went to the chief priests and elders and said, We have strictly bound ourselves by an oath to taste no food till we have kill, killed Paul. Now therefore, now therefore you, along with the council, give notice to the tribune to bring him down to you as though you were going to determine his case more exactly. And we are ready to kill him before he comes near. This wasn't just, this was leadership. This was everybody in on this. Kill Paul. Why? Because of the gospel. The offense of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Why are they so concerned about the gospel being preached? Well, 2 Corinthians 11, 24 and, and 25, Paul says this, Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes, less one. Three times I was beaten with rods, and once I was stoned. Why? Because he preached the gospel of Jesus Christ. Why so much animosity towards the gospel? And, it, and listen, it's not just the Jews that have animosity towards the gospel. The world has animosity towards the gospel. Why? Because it removes the do that our fallen nature craves. Do you understand that? We crave doing. We crave doing. Let me know if I need to do, say something, Josiah. Yeah, is it? Okay. So we'll, so we'll just, Josiah's a ghost right now. He's trying to fix it, and I appreciate that. We crave doing. We crave doing. And, and the gospel removes the do. D-O, not D-E-W. Listen, the gospel destroys all hope and self. It destroys our incessant demand to be our own judge. We, we want to be our own judge. And, and this, is, this is evident in our culture, isn't it? Don't tell me what I can and cannot do. Don't tell me that I need permission from anybody else. It's my life. I'm going to live it however I want. I'll be the judge. That's our culture. And, and, and our culture is not the first culture to be that way. We, we have an incessant 
demand in our sinful nature to be our own judge. We want to be our own judge. And so there is gnashing of teeth at such a doctrine, such that it drives people to conspire to murder. And so Paul says, if I was preaching circumcision, I wouldn't be being persecuted. Because circumcision says this, when you're, when you're banking on circumcision, right? Circumcision says this, do and you're okay. And Paul makes this really unique statement about the troublers here in verse 12. And basically what he's saying is, and I'll give you some historical context here, but basically what he's saying is, he's saying circumcision is as useless now as a pagan religion. That's what verse 12 basically means. And here's why. The Galatians, there was a cult in, the, in Galatia um, that was, uh, that worshipped the goddess Sybil. And the priests of the goddess Sybil were called the Gali. Um, it was a religion of the Gauls and it, and, and it was Celtic and it was, it was in that area. And in order, so the, the Gali were the priests of the false religion or the cult that worshiped the goddess Sybil. And in order to become a Gali, one had to go through the initiation process. And so the Galatians would have been very familiar with this, being that this was celebrated in their areas. And maybe some of them were even um, converts from this religion in their area. In order to become a Gali, which was a priest of this cult, one had to go through the, initi the initiation process. And the initiation process was making oneself a eunuch. And Paul is saying that this doctrine that the false teachers teach is as foreign to the new covenant as this pagan religion. And Paul would rather they become one of the priests of Sybil than to disguise themselves as some sort of gospel missionaries. I would rather them not be covert. I mean, they might as well just take it all the way because this, this doctrine that they're bringing into the church of Galatia has no good for you when it comes to the new covenant. It's as useless as the cult of Sybil, and they might as well become priests of Sybil with this false doctrine. At least we know who they are and what they stand for. And that's what Paul's saying here. Such rituals for the purpose, for religious purposes, are an expression, Paul says in Galatians, of being in the bondage to sin. And bondage to sin is what you've been freed from in Christ, not enslaved to in Christ. We've been freed from rituals, we've been freed from ceremonies. We've been freed from law-keeping. All those things we've been freed from in Jesus Christ so that we are justified fully and completely by the finished work 
of Jesus Christ. And there is nothing else that is needed in order to be justified before God except faith in Jesus. That's it. Anything you try to add to that for the purpose of justification is now a work salvation and you're actually saying, I don't need Jesus. What he did is not sufficient and that's blasphemy. It's blasphemy. So Paul says in verse 13, you were called to freedom, brothers. You were called to freedom. Christ is called, and he says, here's my yoke. It's easy. Take this yoke. It's easy. Why? Because I did it for you. I did the work on your behalf. In Christ, you are justified, past tense, completely and fully. Declared blameless is what that word means. It's a judicial term in the Greek. For you were called to freedom, brothers. And then he says, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Right? Now, we have to understand this. The gospel frees us from the exactment of doing. You hear me? It, it, we need to understand that. And I want, to say, I want to say a few things here about Christian freedom because Paul says this here in, in verse uh, 13. For you were called to freedom. We need to understand what Christian freedom is. Okay? And, so, and, and as we move through this epistle, Paul's going to start talking sanctification. Okay? So I want to say some clarifying things about freedom in Christ, and I hope that it's helpful. And, and some of the things that I say, some of you are going to be like, wasn't aware, but I've been in the ministry for 22 plus years and I'm aware. <laughs> I, I talk to other pastors and, and, and I, I hear of, of things and people ask me and they'll come from other churches and ask me questions. And, and so I'm aware of, I'm not aware of everything, but I'm aware of, of this. I had some friends go awry in, in, in the last 10 I would say 10 to 15 years, the doctrine of justification has been lifted up to important heights. So hear me on this. The doctrine of justification, I think, in the last 10 or 15 years has been lifted up to very important heights, clarified, identified, clearly defined in helpful ways. Especially our, our, our evangelical circles. And it needed to be. It needed to be. Because the doctrine of sanctification had been lifted up to such an extreme. And I, I'll, I'll make clear on this in, in, as I go. And, and here's the thing, and I want, I want you to hear me on this. What, what we usually see in churches is when, when one when one doctrine starts becoming almost, almost heretically important, allow me some freedom there. What happens is, is the church then knee-jerks and it, and it quickly drifts to almost get rid of that doctrine 
for this one. Now, I, I've seen this in the life of many people that I, I discipled in youth groups and, and people that I know and have talked to. I've seen this happen. And so what, what you end up having is in the Christian church, this generation realizes, man, we are wrong here. This is being stressed too much. This isn't helpful. And then what happens is instead of coming here, we go here. And so I praise the Lord for how clear and how important the doctrine of justification has been made in the last 10 or 15 years, once again, in our circles of evangelical churches. It was not properly balanced. It became improperly defined and improperly taught, in my opinion. It's my opinion. The doctrine of sanctification. It was not properly balanced with the doctrine of justification, and it was hurting people. Good, well-meaning Christians were struggling. And they were pursuing sanctification without a clearly defined and deep enough understanding of justification. Okay? Justification is the foundation of all we do as Christians in the Christian life. And if you don't have a clear, strong, biblical doctrine of justification, you will be miserable in your pursuit of sanctification. And I'm telling you, churches all over this country, there were Christians struggling in their sanctification because they did not understand clearly the doctrine of justification. And, and if you've counseled Christians, you've probably had people come in that way. Struggled with assurance, even though everything pointed to them being a true Christian. They, they struggled with assurance because they were misunderstanding the doctrine of justification. And so in many ways, this new movement that started probably about 15 years ago, give or take, lifted up the doctrine of justification and like I said, we, we always do this, right? But it also started in many ways, and, and with some people that I, I love and, and hold dear, um, the pendulum swung too far. And so what actually happened is the doctrine of justification is clear, and it's being held up, but then the doctrine of sanctification became muddy. And in some cases, um, even did away with the doctrine of sanctification. I knew, I knew some who weren't going to use the word repent anymore. Um, you know, because you can't have commands. You know, you, you can't, pre man, if you're preaching command, you're a legalist and you're, you're law. And I'm telling you. And so like any movement, there are some who usually tend to, to swing too far. And so, in many ways, this new movement lifted up the doctrine of justification, as I said, in, in, at the cost of sanctification. And, and really, they both need to be lifted up and have balance in our understanding. Okay? So, let, let me give you a scenario, just, just to be helpful. A scenario. 
Before this new movement that lifted up the doctrine of justification, we had a Christianity that had a form but no essence. And, and America has, has been hurt. Christianity in America has been hurt by Christianity that had a form and no essence. And part of the problem was is because sanctification was lifted so high that it was almost like a certificate of, of acceptance in the church. And so, and you may be one of these people or maybe your parents was that generation, but you could be struggling in sin and there's no way you're going to go get help because sanctification Proper, good sanctification was such a certificate that you didn't want anybody to know that you were struggling. Because you weren't solid enough, and the church wasn't solid enough in the doctrine of justification. So you had all these Christians struggling in their sanctification, but they're not going to say anything because sanctification is so, so highly important and critical and a certificate of acceptance in the church. So Christians struggling with sin would not seek help because they were afraid of what people thought. I mean, Christians don't struggle with sin, right? So the church became a museum for saints rather than a hospital for sinners. But this new movement comes along, and some of the result of it, its imbalances are this. Now we have a Christianity that talks about their struggles with sin all the time, but no one dare tell them that they need to work on it. We've had people come into this church since I've been here and tell me that that's what they're encountering in other places. So it's, it's not just, you know, where I've been. It's, it's here, too. I mean, we, we, we talk about all kinds of struggles that we have in sin and everything, and, 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 we, and we should. We should help one another, right, with that. It's, but at the same time, you dare not tell them they, they need to work on that, that they need to pursue holiness. Because now the doctrine of sanctification in many circles have been pushed down to almost non-existent. Or, or it's in contradiction to the freedom that we have in Jesus. And there's an imbalance there. So you need to pursue holiness while at the same time understanding justification. It's critical that we understand that. The third use of the law in, in many circles have just, that it's been stifled. It's been done away with. The third use of the law is how the saints Know what pleases God in our behavior. How we can please God. That's the third use of the law. And in many circles, the third use of the law has been abandoned. Both of those scenarios are around in the church. Both still exist. Both will probably exist until Christ comes again, right? We're, we are sinners. You're not going to find a perfect church. And you know the saying, if you do, don't join it. You'll mess it up. Right? We're not going to find the, the perfect church. The doctrine of justification frees a person from the exactment of the law. That, it, good news, right? Amen? I, I don't, I don't, anybody in here want to be held to the exactment of the law? Praise the Lord, Christ did it for us. 
But we're also given a new heart to pursue the law out of love for God. We pursue obedience to God for, for and I'm going to talk about this a little bit more if I have time. Y'all aren't listening fast enough this morning. Both, uh, uh, we're given a new heart by the Holy Spirit. That's, the, that's, that's part of the new covenant. I've read those passages in here as we've gone through Galatians. God's going to give the people of the new covenant a new heart to love him, to walk in his statutes, to know the forgiveness of God of all their sins. And, and so we pursue the law, not out of exactment and trying to earn, but out of love for what Christ did for us in the new covenant. And we can pursue obedience to God. And hear me on this. We can pursue obedience to God with the freedom from worrying about being kicked out of covenant with Christ. You hear that? Amen? We can pursue, as Christians, we can pursue obedience to God with the freedom from worrying about being kicked out of covenant with Christ. There's no such thing as good day, bad day Christianity. Right? That's, I think that's one of Jerry Bridges' things. Very helpful. Because, you know, how many people do you know, or maybe you, you fall in this category, you're going to work, flat tire. Man, what have I done to God? Did I do my devotions yesterday? I must not have prayed like I should have. You know, like everything that comes in your life that you deem negative has to be some, some punishment from God for your bad day of Christianity that you had yesterday. It's a mess. And that's not understanding the doctrine of justification. That's not understanding that the reason God smiles his face upon you is not because you did your devotions today. The reason God smiles his face upon you is because of what Christ did on your behalf. Amen. And that doesn't change. That covenant is kept. It's finished. And you're in it if you're in Christ. So justification removes the penalty of law-breaking. You are, once and for all, declared to be blameless before God because you are in Christ who kept the covenant between God and man perfectly on your behalf and paid for all your sins. So justification removes the penalty of law-breaking by the perfect righteousness of Christ and the atoning work of Christ on the cross. But that's not all that happens at regeneration. We cannot, nor does Scripture allow us to stop there. We have been given a new heart that loves the law of God, and so now, as new creatures in Christ, we delight in the law of God. We pursue obedience out of love for God and love for the law. Because the law shows us what pleases God. But, and we must cling to this truth to ourselves, or cling to this truth and preach this truth to ourselves every day, we do not pursue obedience for the purpose of earning. We pursue obedience because it is the context in which God has ordained our greatest pleasure in him. Right? 
God has redeemed us and justified us in Jesus Christ. And he has given us, by his law, a context of living by which, when we live in it, we will find our greatest satisfaction and pleasure in him. And we need to remember that because the world says, oh, God's law is killjoy, when actually it is the foundation and source of joy. Right? His law kept perfectly in Christ and his law pursued by us without worry of being kicked out of the covenant when we fail and knowing that his law puts out parameters in which if we live, we will have the greatest joy and satisfaction and pleasure that we can have in this life. Which is why, by the way, we can read and bliss in glory. Right? Why? Because we can enjoy God unhindered by sin. We, we enjoy God in heaven for eternity unhindered by sin. The inner man will be completely renewed. The outer man will be shed and a new body given that can inherit immortality where there will be no sin, no tears, no pain, no death. Pure worship of God. Christian freedom is not freedom from caring about sin. You hear that? Look at, look at what Paul says here. For you were called to freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom as opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Christian freedom is not freedom from caring about sin. Christian freedom is not freedom from caring about becoming more like Christ, which is, which is some of the things that have, that, were, that have been said in the last 10 years. Christian freedom is the freedom to pursue being like Christ in imitation to be able to live out your new nature. Now, I, I'm not even close. Just give me a second. Yeah. Okay, so here's what I'm going to do. It's, 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 it's 11 o'clock. I'm going to close on, on that note. I'm going to say it again. And then I'm going to close on that note, and then we'll pick up freedom. Because we need to understand what Christian freedom is. So I want us to look at the freedom that God has, and then look at the freedom that we have in Christ, in the new covenant, and then we'll start walking down the path that Paul does of how we're supposed to live, right? In the light of justification by faith alone, in Christ alone, how are we to live, right? So Christian freedom is not freedom from caring about sin. It Christian freedom doesn't mean this. I don't care about sin anymore. I'm going to live the way I want to live. Paul dealt with that in Romans 6. Christian freedom is the ability to pursue righteousness 
without having to worry about there being penalty for your failures because you are in Christ who did not fail. Okay? So Christian freedom is pursuing holiness, but it's pursuing holiness and joy. If you're pursuing holiness, and I said this last week, and I'm going to keep saying this, if you're pursuing holiness without an understanding of justification, you're going to be miserable. Because I promise you, in the next five minutes, you're going to sin. And if you're pursuing sanctification or striving for holiness for out, for the, without such, you will not see God, Hebrews says. If you're pursuing that, though, in the hopes that somehow God's going to smile upon you for what you did, you're going to be miserable because you mess up more than you don't. <laughs> but if you can pursue holiness and pursue obedience... And pursue living like God's called you with the understanding that failure does not remove you from the covenant in Christ. Then you can have joy even when you fail. And you can still run back to the throne room of grace even when you fail. Amen? And you can still talk to your church members about your struggles while you're trying to pursue to put them to death and put the fruit of the Spirit on. Right? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this, this day and this time in your word. And Thank you for the freedom, the absolute freedom that we have in Jesus Christ. We, we, we thank you, Lord, that, that we have been made partakers of the new covenant, citizens in the kingdom of your beloved son, and that citizenship cannot be revoked because it wasn't earned by us. It was earned by Jesus. We thank you for the the wonderful, freeing, joy-filling, awe-inspiring doctrine of justification where we can, we can hear Romans 8 read and have joy knowing that there is nothing, nothing in creation, in everything that's been created, not even ourselves. there's nothing that can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. And so we thank you for that that freeing doctrine of justification. Lord, we thank you for this time together as a church family, and we praise you. Thank you, Lord, for doing all that we need to be made right with you and kept by you eternally secure. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.